you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. And uh, this show is an interesting one because we thought it was going to be our last episode of 2021, uh, but due to some audio difficulties, we're a, we're a continuously improving organization. Uh, so that requires continuous improvement. So we, we uh, hopefully uh, improved our process, uh, but I'm, I'm excited to welcome to the show uh, Mike Ellicott. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing great. I'm, I'm, uh, I apologize for not making that, uh, that first one better uh, with those technical difficulties, but uh, I enjoy the opportunity to, to get together and, and tell some more story. Uh, like I said, every, everything's a training exercise in entrepreneurship. Uh, so hopefully uh, we're that much better. And I, I, for our audience, um, you know, this is the first episode of 22. And as Mike and I were talking, the silver lining of our discussion from early December, uh, one, I had the prediction wrong. It was, it was Army-Navy week, and I, uh, I predicted Army. So I'll, I'll take ownership that we, uh, we fumbled there. Uh, but the, the holiday break re really gave me a lot of clarity. And our conversation that Mike and I had, uh, I think, enhanced a synergy that we, we already talked about. Uh, or, or both knew we were passionate about, which is transitioning veterans. Uh, so hopefully that comes out. And, and the other piece is uh, right before that show on LinkedIn, I saw that Mike Ellicott uh, has launched an EOS facilitator business. Uh, he can, we'll get into that a little bit more, but as a uh, user and proponent, proponent and cheerleader for the EOS system to all small business owners, uh, I think it's awesome that Mike is bringing his public sector experience, his uh, Department of Defense and, and Army leadership experience to small businesses through the EOS platform. Um, so those are all, uh, I think those are all the public service announcements to get going. Uh, enough from me. We want to hear about Mike Ellicott. Uh, so Mike, the way we start the uh, podcast off is, is going back to as far as you think matters. Uh, how'd you go from, uh, you know, the army to the AEC? How'd you get into the army? Uh, and tell us a little bit about your, your background. I, I, uh, I grew up in the army. My dad was, a was, a, an engineer with 28 years, uh, in the, in, uh, in the army, um, ended up as the commander for the Europe district and was building out all the new, um, embassies when the when the Iron Curtain came down and, and, and the Soviet Union collapsed. So my my whole time, my whole time growing up had been uh, as, a, as an, a military dependent, and I was adamant the entire time that I would never join the military, much less the army, never going to happen. And then, uh, and then I had to figure out how to pay for college. And, uh, and uh, it turns out that those, those scholarships are, are pretty, dang, pretty darn handy. And so uh, I had an army ROTC scholarship. I originally wanted to use it to study sharks and ichthyology, uh, but uh, the Army's not interested in having ichthyologists on board. And so uh, I went with, uh, with engineering, mechanical engineering. But I did go to a school, a uh, small private school down in Florida, and, uh, and was able to 
spent a lot of time sitting in the ocean and, and swimming around, figuring out stuff that was going on and, and, and find that passion there. My first duty station, I was, I was wildly lucky, um, was Hawaii. Uh, and even before I got to Hawaii, uh, as part of the 65th Engineer Division and 25th ID Light, um, ROTC sent me to airborne school, sent me to air assault school, sent me to sapper school. Uh, and those three schools were really what cemented for me, hey, this army stuff is actually pretty cool uh, because in between there, I took, a, I had a, an internship at NASA, Kennedy Space Center. And, uh, and as cool as that sounded, man, it was painful every day to get up and go sit in a cubicle and stare at the, stare at the brackets for something, for holding uh, experiments on the space station. So uh, when I graduated and got that first duty station to, to uh, Hawaii, man, it was unbelievable. I traveled the entire Pacific. Um, and actually deployed from there all the way back across the, the globe to Haiti uh, and got to be in charge of uh, some of America's best folks, folks that are still friends with me today. Um, folks that I, I, I gave non-judicial punishment to and are now uh, now running their own businesses <laughs> after having almost been kicked out of the army because I wouldn't shut up. Uh, that that was a, a formative experience. And, and, and at that point, that was when I, I committed myself, hey, look, I'm going to stay in this army thing until... So it stops being fun. And that ended up being almost 26 and a half years later. Um, I spent time, two times in the Corps of Engineers, first in Charleston District, and then uh, my last assignment was as a district commander in Memphis District. Um, both of those districts were civil works focused. Uh, both of them had a, had a pretty significant uh, environmental uh, business line uh, set of work and responsibilities. Uh, and both of those were incredibly rewarding professionally. I think when I look back at my career and, and the things that were the coolest uh, that I got to do that, that I that I really enjoyed the most, um, my number one job was was uh, being a professor of military science at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. And that job, Furman University. Yeah, Furman University in Greenville. It's a small private liberal arts college. Um, I was the the chair of the department of leadership and. Uh, Worked for the dean and 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 had an unbelievable time. My boss was five hours away. Uh, I, I talked to them once a week on the phone, um, and then the rest of the time I, I got to develop leaders and 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 really showcase what it was that the the army brought to the table in a in a community that uh, was very supportive of the military, but really didn't have a whole lot of uh, of, of military folks there. I had a couple guard units that were there, but uh, but uh, that was one of the greatest opportunities out there to be able to influence new leaders and be able to showcase what principled leadership and principled organizations can do across the world. Uh, so uh, personally, that was, that was, a that was probably the best, uh, best thing I had at the time. Our kids were, we had three kids, all of them under a year old. Uh, and, uh, and there was a, there was plenty of time to come home and rescue my wife from, uh, from what was happening at home. Uh, and there was plenty of flexibility to be able to do that and take care of the 18 to 21 year old kids that were there at college. Um, but I ended up uh, the, the, my time in the military uh, as the commander of Memphis district. And, uh, and that was really the first time I think I got to help Americans. Every other time that I'd been in, uh, you know, minus the time I was a deputy in Charleston district, I was out there providing engineering resources in support of, or, or in, in furthering the efforts towards supporting Afghans or, or Haitians or, or Kuwaitis or any of the other folks in the Middle East. Uh, my time in Memphis district was solely dedicated to helping the folks of, of uh, 
the middle part of the country that really are amazing. And it, and it really, uh, coming back there, it really restored my faith in, uh, certainly in Americans, but, uh, but, but in humanity as well. I'd spent uh, the time prior to that in the Middle East, uh, and it's very transactional there. You know, what are you going to do for me? Before I consider anything, doing anything for you, let's see what you're going to do for me. Um, and when I got to got to Tennessee, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and I got to go out there and meet the stakeholders that live and work on either side of the Mississippi River, man, they were all about being the kind of people that you you read about when you read about history, right? When you read the Talkville and you say, hey, look, this is this is what America is like. Those folks are there and they're sitting on either side of the river. Uh, all they want the government to do is do what they say. They don't want anything else. And it was incredibly powerful uh, to make those, those uh, what were initially uh, relationships with, with stakeholders and, and, and clients are now uh, have blossomed into a bunch of friendships. So the last time we tried to do this podcast, I was actually at a Mississippi Valley Flood Control Association uh, annual meeting. And that's right. where all those folks are. Yeah. Come there every year, and and, and they they lobby for supporting the Mississippi River and and the, and the projects that the, they keep it open year in and year out. So that uh, was before, a long-winded talk. Sorry about that. Not not at all. Uh, before we go further, I I actually realized that there's some transitioning DoD and, and maybe even junior engineer officers uh, and and enlisted ranks that aren't really aware of the Corps of Engineers side of the engineering branch. Um, so you mentioned civil works, um, you know, being the, the primary mission of Memphis District and Charleston District. For those that don't, you know, don't know what that means, can you uh, elaborate on what that what that mission specifically was and how that differs from other districts? Yeah, so the Corps of Engineers got a couple main missions, right? The one that most folks in the military are familiar with is the military construction mission. And so if you're living in a in a barracks or or an Air Force dorm, if you're working in in a, in a military headquarters or an office building, if you're landing on a, on a military runs runway or, or parking your aircraft on a, on a parking apron at a, at a military airfield, all that stuff is generally built by using military construction money, and a vast majority of those uh, those projects are done by the Corps of Engineers. So that's one of the missions. The, the, the original mission for um, Corps of Engineers was Civil Works mission, and, and that's the infrastructure that's out there, uh, specifically the water infrastructure. Um, they manage, uh, they're organized, each of those engineer districts are organized by watershed. So if there's a major watershed in, in, in the area, that's, that's usually what delineates the extents of, a, of a, an engineer district. Um, and their focus is making sure that they manage the water and the water flow uh, around the country. And so that's primarily civil works. And so when you think of a civil works project, that is going to be um, dredging those harbors, right? If you've seen in the news, the Savannah Harbor Expansion Program is a big one where they're, they're dredging the Savannah Harbor to be able to accept the Panamax ships. Same thing with the Charleston Harbor dredging. Um, any of those harbors that are on the, on the West Coast, they're all dredged and maintained by the Corps of Engineers as part of the civil works mission. That's just one part of it. If you've got a waterway, and you've got levees along there. The Corps of Engineers has built probably most of the levees that are out there along the waterways that, that folks are concerned about. A lot of them have been turned over to local sponsors and local stakeholders, but the, the Corps still maintains uh, thousands of miles of levees and pump stations and, and, the, and the structures that, uh, that help protect the, the livelihoods and, and industry and uh, life that goes on behind them. So along the, along the Mississippi River itself, uh, from 
the the confluence of the Mississippi and Ohio South, uh, that's the main, uh, it's one of the biggest projects that are out there, uh, one of the biggest civil works projects that are out there. Uh, another one that might be famous is, is all the work that went into New Orleans after the Hurricane Katrina. There have been plans on the books before Hurricane Katrina came in that really helped with, uh, with flood control uh, in and around New Orleans that did not receive the funding um, that there's a, the, the way the core works is you got to get authorization from Congress to do a project, and then you got to get appropriations from Congress to do the projects, right? So you got to got to get two of those things. The first is the law that says it's important to do it. And the second one is the budget piece that says, here's the money to do it. So there've been a lot of authorizations for, for that work in and around, uh, in and around New Orleans, but not a lot of appropriations in order to do that. And you can't do any work without money. But those are the major uh, civil works kind of things in there. So flood control, anything that has to do with flood control, and anything that has to do with navigation, really, along the rivers. So if you're dredging, dredging rivers and harbors, uh, primarily. I'm, I'm so glad you hit the authorizations and appropriations, uh, because it, the Corps of Engineers is the easy political fall man for... Uh, for these disasters and why didn't we think about this prior and, and, you know, we screwed up the engineering, but, you know, even when something gets authorized, so, so the Corps of Engineers can study it, the Corps of Engineers can design it, uh, the Corps of Engineers can construct it, but no money, no mission. Uh, if it's authorized, but not appropriated, you're not building anything. Right. Right. And sometimes you might get appropriated, but you can't build the entire thing. So, so even though the, you know, we'll, we'll use some engineering terms, the hundred year flood, flood level or the thousand year uh, uh, storm level, it says one thing, if you don't, if you can't, you know, get that, um, the appropriation to the right level, you might descope the project and build less than what you're recommending, but still more than what's currently existing. Um, that's, that's just in case any news reporters out there that likes taking the Corps of Engineers to, uh, the court of public opinion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, any, like any bureaucracy, it only changes with pain. And so a lot of that pain that comes in the, in the, in, in, in the court of public opinion is important, but yeah, that, that, uh, that, that second piece, the appropriation piece was, was one that, uh, is hard for folks to learn and, and is painful. Uh, that's where um, I mean one of the one of the coolest things about living and working in Memphis district is is we had uh, uh, we had the Mississippi River Commission, which is a, a, an organization or body that was put in place um, and, and really empowered after the 1927 flood along the Mississippi River. It killed a couple thousand folks and did a couple billion dollars worth of damage in 1927 dollars. Um, in 1928, Congress authorized, again, authorized, not appropriated, but authorized the Mississippi Rivers and Tributaries Project, which was an effort to control the flooding along the Mississippi River. Uh, and if you've ever read Tom Sawyer, right, you, you know that uh, you don't control the Mississippi River, or if you try to, you lose. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that Mississippi River and Tributaries Project is probably uh, one of the greatest engineering feats ever accomplished in the history of the Earth uh, that you never, ever hear about. I put it on par with landing people on the moon because uh, you have never heard about flooding along the Mississippi River that's, uh, that, that rivals anything near what happened in, in, uh, in New Orleans, right? And every year that, that river swings uh, about 40 feet in elevation from, from no flood 
summertime to uh, flood conditions that happen starting about right about now for the next three or four months. Uh, every year that happens, uh, every year the Corps of Engineers fights the floods, every year the, the local folks, local stakeholders fight the floods. Um, and every year we continue to pass three to $5 trillion of, of materials up and down that river without stopping, 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it's amazing, this Mississippi River Tributaries Project uh, that's out there. There are very few things that the government invests in, and I'll use that term investment uh, with, with air quotes, but uh, there are very few things that the government invests in that returns the kind of uh, ROI or that generates the kind of ROI that the Mississippi River Tributaries. The last time I looked, I think it's 64 to one. So for every dollar uh, that the government has invested in, in that system, uh, it has prevented uh, $64 worth of damage. Uh, one of the unsung heroes or portions of that, so you know, nobody knows about Mississippi River's Tributaries Project, but even fewer people know that those stakeholders and partners that work with the Corps along the river, they're also putting in just as much money locally as the federal government is from the federal level. And so uh, it, it's pretty amazing to see the results of that uh, or to see, I guess, the lack of results of that uh, because you don't, it doesn't make the news when it happens. Yeah, I, it, I, I think it was Duke DeLuca um, when he was Mississippi Valley Division commander um, who's been on the podcast uh, as a mentor of mine. He, he was the one that I, I saw him speak down in, uh, in D.C. at Association of General Contractors. And he was talking about the ROI of infrastructure investment and, and specifically Mississippi Valley Division and, and you know, the level of investment. Uh, that's required and the economic generation that comes from that waterway is just, I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, that's that project that keeps on giving no matter what, no matter how you approach that project. So if you want to talk about pure ROI, that's a great one. But if you also want to talk about the environmental impacts, you know, every one of those barges takes thousands of 18 wheelers off the roads, right? So that yep. means that those, those 18 wheeler tractors aren't generating uh, emissions. That means that those 18-wheeler uh, tractors and trailers aren't degrading the, the roadways that are out there. They're not damaging the, the um, bridges that we're driving across. It takes all that load off. Um, it's even more efficient uh, to move uh, a ton of cargo via river than it is via rail, too. And so it takes a couple couple hundred rail cars off the off the rails out there, allowing us a whole bunch of flexibility. Um, we work, uh, you know, when we're when we're working that project uh, up there, we work very closely with uh, a lot of the uh, environmental interests, like uh, the Nature Conservancy was a great partner for work along the uh, uh, Mississippi River and, and its tributaries because uh, they saw the value of, of what it was we we're doing and they were able to help work with us to be able to tweak some of the tools that were on the, on the periphery to really make an impact for some of the endangered species that are out there and to maintain some of that uh, pristine or pristine-like uh, environment that, that, uh, that, that is there along, along the river on both sides. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool project that I wish more people knew about. Um, that's one, one, one I'd love to throw up there when that court of public opinion starts beating down on the Corps of Engineers. Can't always say, yeah, but, but sometimes it'd be worth it to say, yeah, but, check this out. Uh, let's, let's make sure we, we find some kind of uh, reference material for that so people could read more, to, more about it and we'll We'll hit it in the show notes. Perfect. Um, all right. So transitioning from you know you had you had soldier time, uh, leading soldiers. You had leading students. You had leading 
civilians inside of the DOD uh, with the Corps of Engineers transition now. Uh, I know we, we're both pretty passionate about the transition process, and I think we'll get to that, but, but what led you to where you are now? Uh, or, or maybe there's the intermediate step, what led you to uh, meet and hunt? Um, yeah, so... I, and what, I what's your out, role there? Let's start with what's your role there? Yeah, so at Meet and Hunt, I'm the, uh, my, my title is Market Leader Southeast, Federal Market Leader Southeast. So I help Meet and Hunt generate uh, and, and, and get um, federal contracts primarily with the Corps of Engineers, but with any federal agency uh, other than a DOT. The DOT within Meet and Hunt, we've got folks that, that specifically focus on transportation side of things. Uh, but anything that comes with a Brooks Act, um, which is the the competition-based or qualification-based uh, acquisition requirements for architectural and engineering services, anything that falls underneath that act for acquisition by the federal government, I help uh, meet and hunt gain that. So we've uh, we've done some pretty cool things. There's uh, I think we have seven different districts now, seven different contracts with USAID districts. We've got uh, two great contracts with Air Force uh, Civil Engineer Center. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, we just had our, our, our small business mentor protege just won a, a, a contract for Texas and Oklahoma in support of the Fish and Wildlife Service. So, uh, let's, so give, let's give that small business a shout out. Who is it? Yeah, AM Engineering out of, out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're a, they're a, they're a fun little uh, small business with, that does some great things. And, and there's, a, there's a host of folks uh, that are in there. It's a hub zone. Is a socioeconomic category, um, so a hub zone company um, that's focused on geotechnical engineering mostly. They've got a sister company that does the actual drilling and and and, and lab work, uh, and there's a whole host of other things that are in there uh, that they do great. But, uh, they've been a, a mentor protege, all small business mentor protege, Mead Hunt, I think, going on two years now, uh, and, and there's been some great uh, great work going back and forth. We're in the middle of, a, of signing an agreement with another small business uh, for mentor protege work, and, and once that gets signed, we'll we'll put that back out and, and, and look forward to being able to leverage their skills uh, and help them grow. It's a, it's pretty fun to watch that happen. So, like anybody that uh, is transitioning, you do some soul searching. You're trying to figure out what your what your criteria are for for what you want to do next. Uh, what, what were they and how did meet and hunt become the, the place you land? Yeah. So I, you know, there's a, there's a couple books that I read, all right. As, as I was, uh, as I was figuring out how to, what the heck I wanted to do. And I'm still working on that part because right? I don't know that I know what I want to do. I know what I love now. And I think I've narrowed that range down from, from, I love this to this is specifically what I want. And I, and I can talk about that in a little bit more, but, um, and I'm an engineer. My undergrad was in engineering, so I created a giant spreadsheet. Right? I created a spreadsheet that had um, across the top all the companies that I, you know, every time I saw something on LinkedIn or Indeed, and said, and it said, well, that looks that looks interesting. I created a, a, a column for that company. And on the side, I put all the criteria that I wanted. Right, and they usually boil down to, or people tell you, they boil down to geography, compensation, and title. Right? You got to you got to pick two of the three. You're not going to get all three and, and, uh, and be satisfied with that and move on. Um, and so uh, that was really what the criteria were out there. I also had added in there travel. Uh, I, uh, I was tired in the Army of being forced to travel 
and live where I didn't want to travel and live to. Uh, so that was one of the ones in there was the amount of travel required. It was one, one of my criteria. But this, uh, this spreadsheet, I, I pulled it up because I sent it to a friend uh, the other day, but it had, uh, I think, 31 criteria down the right side. So uh, of the 50 companies that I, I eventually had talked to uh, during this transition period, um, I had these 31 criteria and I had X's in all of them. And if you, 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 the, the number one guys, the number one companies that, that matched all the X's, Meet and Hunt was, was it. And I found Meet and Hunt via LinkedIn and networking, uh, like I think most people do at this point. Um, I had known Miro Kirka. He's, uh, he's one of the principals at Meet and Hunt. I'd known him off and on because he's a former uh, engineer district commander, uh, was a district commander in, in, uh, in the Middle East, was a district commander. Uh, in Tulsa, um, and was, a, I think, a division deputy as well. Uh, but I'd known him and, and folks around him for a while. And he reached out to me via LinkedIn and, and uh, brought me in and showed me about uh, Meet and Hunt. Uh, and then I used one of the greatest tools that's out there right now for transitioning veterans. I used the Deity Skillbridge program, uh, and, and specifically the program that's run by uh, the Chamber of Commerce Hiring Our Heroes. They run, I think still at this point, they run three sessions uh, a year, three 12-week sessions a year. And, uh, and uh, I brought Mean Hunt into that system, got them lined up and linked up with uh, Hiring Our Heroes. Uh, and I spent 12 weeks uh, working with Mean Hunt embedded into them and understanding their culture to make sure it wasn't just interview deep, uh, making sure that I, I, could, I could be on board with what it is that they're doing and, and where it was. And that was, uh, during that time, I was paid by the, you know, it was within six months of my retirement date. So I was paid by the Department of Defense, all of my, uh, benefits continued throughout there. So, so uh, housing and all those things were happening in addition to um, my salary. I still had leave that was on there. Uh, part of the agreement is that uh, Meet and Hunt and Hiring Our Heroes knows that that's a transition period. So it gave me time to be able to work on medical issues that were out there. It gave me time to be able to work on transition issues. And, and, and we all went into the, uh, you know, that relationship eyes wide open saying that I was still looking and still networking to find the best job that was going to be out there for me as I transitioned. And it ended up being meeting Hunt. And so I accepted with them um, that uh, that fellowship that I did with with uh, hiring our heroes and meeting Hunt ended in mid-November. Um, I had I had an offer from them early on uh, and accepted it, uh, I think, probably before the end of October. And then uh, I started full time with Mead and Hunt on the sixth of January, twenty twenty, and uh, and it was uh, it was uh, pretty cool. Awesome. So that's that's how I got out of the military. Um, that spreadsheet that I used, the the book that that really helped me do that um, was was uh, called the Two Hour Job Search, uh, and that book is is pretty handy for a folk, for a person like me. I spent a lot of time looking at uh, at job postings on LinkedIn, saying, "Yeah, I could do that." And, and I found another one on, on Indeed. And I, oh, I could definitely do that. And, and free people should pay me to do this. Uh, <laughs> that book really helped me narrow down um, understanding what it was that I didn't want to do, so I could I could really focus on industries and uh, discard industries or, or opportunities or options that were out there, so that I wasn't. You know, spending so many, so much time just sort of randomly saying, "Yeah, I could do that." That two-hour job search was was uh, one of the most powerful ones. The other book that I read that really helped and resonated with me because I'm a I'm a process-oriented person is the twenty-minute twenty-minute networking meeting, the executive edition from Nathan Peretz. And uh, and if you uh, if you get a chance to read that, that that gives you five things that you got to do 
right? It gives you five things to prepare for a call. So if I'm calling BJ and I'm saying, hey, I want to know what it's like to work in the AE industry, that's going to help me make sure that I structure that time and that call with you so that you aren't feeling like, you know, there's another idiot who just wasted my time. You know, we both gain out of that, uh, out of that call. And, and that really helped focus and build relationships out there beyond just growing my knowledge base on, on the opportunities that are out there. What does it actually mean to be a project manager? Because we all want to be project managers. What does it mean to be a program manager? Because we all want to be program managers. Right. Help me understand that. And that, uh, that those two books are the, are the keys, I think, to helping start the transition process and, and get you out of the military and into another job. Uh, they're not going to be there to figure out where you're going to be, you know, a year or two years into it. But they're, those are those are great tools that are out there that really help uh, narrow your focus and effort. And then, uh, you know, Nathan Perez himself, I met him uh, in person. He uh, he's got a he's got a veterans edition that's out there as well. Uh, he walks the talk. So if, if you connect with him, he's going to he's going to spend time and, 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 and will definitely help reach out to the veterans. So that was another cool connection that was out there. I think the biggest thing I realized coming out of, out of the military was there are a ton of people who want to help. Yeah. So if you say, I need help, there's going to be a ton of people who are going to say, okay, I'm ready to help. But you've got to do the work to say, I need help here. I need to understand this there. You can't just yeah. say, I need help, or I need a job, because that doesn't work. You know, nobody, nobody, on the out, nobody who's gone through it has the time to figure out what you want. You've got to figure that part out. Uh, and you don't have to be perfect because there's uh, you're going to figure stuff out as you go and you realize, realize, hey, this isn't exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Well, it, it, there's so much there. Um, let me start by saying we're going to we're going to link to those books and we will link to the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Chamber of Commerce, Skillbridge, because we want to we want to get that word out there. I think one of our missions is to is to spread as much tools and, and connections to everybody as possible. Uh, specifically transitioning veterans. And I don't care if you're an E3 uh, after, after three years or, or an 06, 07, 08. Uh, everybody struggles through this transition. Everybody has their criteria. Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of money and mission. Uh, you know, culture and core values, I think, certainly matter. And then, you know, compensation, you know, you, you got to pay the bills. Um, and we could probably go down an entire rabbit path on that or rabbit hole on that. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, well, I, you, I was, you mentioned, you know, money and mission or whatever. I, you know, the, the thing that I find is, is being able to match the sense of purpose that I had in the military. And that's really been the, the continued struggle uh, since leaving the military is, is when you're in the military, your job is your purpose. Every day you show up, you're helping that airman, you're helping that soldier, you're helping that Marine. Regardless of what goes on that day, whether it's a PT test or it's a, you know, it's a, it's sitting in a, in a, in a building, getting their annual training, you are actually physically going to help somebody that day, no matter what. Um, and that, that sense of purpose, I think is one of the biggest things that disappears when you leave the military is, is that, you know, if you're lucky, you're, you're that guy or girl who finds that unicorn job where you step right out of the military and you, you step right into a place that brings you that sense of purpose. That is awesome. But of the thousand plus veterans I've talked to so far, um, I haven't found anyone who's got that that unicorn job yet. Uh, it's that sense of purpose that I really find is 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 where people are finding the difficulty or what's missing. I you actually helped me because that was that was the train of thought I lost. Uh, I I really have probably had. 
like we were talking about before, I had a, a three-year period of just like, what the hell am I doing? Who am I trying yeah. to become? And, and really a 10-year journey to clarity of, of, you know, what is my new mission and how do I create, uh, you know, a small business owner, but I want to create that mission environment inside of MCFA because I think it's not just military that struggle with it. I think it's, it's more palpable to military because when you put the uniform on, it's like you look in the mirror and you know you're doing, you're serving something greater than yourself. You know, everybody's got to pay the bills. Everybody wants to grow their, their income and all that. But I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that the, the vast majority of people want to be part of a team and, and part of a mission that's making an impact. And the one thing I've realized is we as leaders have to be the ones creating that mission, creating that meaning and creating the environment to allow people to feel like they're making an impact because there's not an infrastructure job in this country that doesn't, doesn't serve a greater purpose. We just talked about, you know, Mississippi Valley and, and the right, economic right. impact that that does for, for Americans all over. That's jobs, that's homes, that's, that's uh, farming. It's it, like the, the reverberations of any single project are huge. And I think leadership is just reminding everybody that you know you're a part of something bigger than just the project you're a part of something bigger than just showing up on the job and like that's where satisfaction comes from uh and the biggest thing is to your point people how do you help people right um and maybe that's a transition point for what's the latest update in your career path uh i don't know if we call it a side hustle well, it's a passion project, I think, at right. this point. I mean, it, it, is my, it is my passion. And it's, you know, I sort of talked about it earlier on, figuring, figuring out what it was that I, I really wanted to do. Um, you know, I think when you first transition, you, you look at job titles and say, yeah, that's what I really want to do. And you look at job descriptions and say, yeah, that's, that's what I really want to do. I want to do that job description. Uh, and it takes a little while. It takes a little reflection to come back and say, okay, you know, the leadership or supervisor job description, job title, maybe that's not it. Maybe what I really loved and what I found about myself, you know, going back to those two jobs that I told you I loved, what I found about myself is I really like that teach, coach, and facilitate. That's what, that's what fires me up. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what keeps me going. Those were the things when I was a battalion commander and jumping out of airplanes and blowing stuff up, as cool as that was, and it was unbelievably cool. <laughs> more fun. I had more fun sitting down with, with, with lieutenants and NCOs and saying, okay, look, you know, here's the situation. How would you handle this by yourselves? How would you handle this together? Okay, here's how it's been handled before in history. Here's how we've handled it before. Here's an AR from what we did in Afghanistan three years ago. What would you change? What would you do different? That coach, teach, and facilitate that mentor. And that's, that's, the, that's the stuff that gets me up in the morning. Uh, number one. Number two, going back to uh, the folks that I met along the river in Mississippi and Memphis District and, and Arkansas, Missouri, those folks, um, there were people out there hooking and jabbing every day. And they were, there were small businesses who, who could see, they had the vision of where they wanted to be and where they want to go. Uh, they just didn't know how or what or where to go to take those next steps and be able to lay it out and, and prioritize what's going on and figure out how they get everyone on board with where they're going. And so um, 
I spent, like I said, the last two years trying to figure out, hey, what's my purpose and, and how does this work? And, and um, way back when I, I had worked, uh, I'd read a book in 2018 called Traction uh, by, by Gina Wickman. And, and it was uh, it was pretty life-changing. It took a lot of the things that we know about and we practice every day in the military and it put it in words that everyone could understand. If you didn't have to be in the military to understand, you didn't have to have spent uh, you know, a, a four-year enlistment be able to grasp those those pieces and keys and how how they tie together. So I read that book and started using those principles that were in there, and it made a tremendous difference in the way that we were moving around business. It helped us coalesce around a vision that was that was more than one year or one appropriation cycle out. It helped us really tighten up on on uh, on the the project delivery process to the point where we're getting unsolicited positive feedback not to us, but to our congressional delegation. And, and how often have you ever had, I mean, in a, in, a, in a government bureaucracy, how often do people say, hey, that bureaucracy is really doing well and call their congressman about that? You, it's usually the other way. You're calling <laughs> congressman saying, these guys are killing me. Uh, so so th- that book itself was, uh, was an eye-opener. Uh, and they, uh, that book is, is uh, that book about traction is, is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's a book that, that really lays that out. Uh, that system is now franchised and uh, they started franchising a little bit over a year ago in their first uh, first couple of states here in the US and, and have now I think have progressed to almost all 50 states and, and I've got franchises overseas but I, I, I joined that and started my own EOS implementer business to be able to help those small businesses those guys who are out there and girls who are out there hooking and jabbing every day man I, I know the pain that you go through when when it's when there's dysfunction, I know the pain that happens when you you, you know you, you feel like you're taking two steps forward here, but three steps back there. Uh, and there's a tool that's out there that's simple, it's proven, uh, it's a complete system, and and uh, and uh, I know it works because I used it. So uh, it, it really helps me. Uh, that that's my passion project is is helping small businesses now, entrepreneurial businesses, whether they're you know, you know two or three years in or, or they're thirty years in and they're family run. Uh, helping them be able to achieve everything they want to achieve out of their business, and that's uh, that is my passion project at this point in time, and it's a uh, it's pretty darn fun. Uh, I think uh, in the month since I talked to you last, uh, you know, there's a, there's a flywheel that you got to crank as you as you start up a new, uh, new organization, right? And so uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of pushing on a flywheel and not feeling a whole lot of momentum, but uh, but this week I'm really starting to feel the flywheel spin pick up its own momentum and, and, uh, and I've been able to talk to a couple different companies that uh, that are that are eager for somebody to come in and, and and point them and help them see the right direction get them up on their feet and running and, and then turn them loose to get out there and, 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 uh, and kick butt so that's a that's my passion project is I'm now an EOS implementer professional EOS owner uh, working here along the Gulf Coast with a with a mission uh, and a goal to help 250 businesses a hundred of which I want to be a veteran-owned businesses. Um, and and I've got a couple of notes on this, and we'll we'll hit these in either the email blast or in the, the comments uh, to make sure that I, I have a path for people to take advantage of this. But one is <clears throat> Mike Ellicott reached out to me, uh, I don't know, six, no, it's probably, it's over a year now. It's over um, a year, I think. Yeah. Because I think it was right when COVID hit, I started an email blast. Uh, and something I wrote, uh, 
struck a nerve with with Mike and and we've been collaborating uh, since. Uh, Mike Ellicott, if if I had not gone through EOS, Mike Ellicott is who I would want to be my EOS uh, facilitator because he gets the industry, he gets leadership, he gets people, uh, and he's used it. And and this is you know so so one that's my uh, endorsement of Mike. Two, uh, we also have a, a, a veteran passion uh, for both small business and transition. Uh, so I'm going to talk to Mike about putting scholarships out to help people uh, that are veteran-owned small businesses through our foundation to fund uh, maybe their first session of EOS with Mike. Um, so more details to follow. Uh, this is a podcast, so I get to rapid fire ideas and then, and, and it's my way of holding myself accountable to follow through. Uh, luckily EOS put me in a position. Uh, so, so I always talk about EOS as I've read every business leadership entrepreneurial book in, in America. Um, EOS or, or, or traction is the field manual. So for, for all of you military guys that are looking for an SOP and a field manual, a lot of things talk philosophically, a lot of things talk um, conceptually, a lot of things talk about lessons learned, but this actually gives you a, an operating system, a process to take a lot of the stuff that we learned in the military about leadership and team building and, and missions and visions and uh, team building and cohesion and SOPs it gives you a framework to start chipping away at those things that whether you're a one person business feeling like I'm trying to do everything or a hundred person business saying, how do I take this to the next level? So it's not just small business and it's not just business. I believe that public agencies, and I always talk about agency entrepreneurs, uh, whether you're an engineering division of a public agency uh, listening to this or a leader of a, a USACE district listening to this. Uh, there are so many principles here that can be applied to nonprofits, to churches, to community organizations, to small businesses. I haven't done it, so I don't want to, but, but I've thought about it like in the family, um, utilizing a lot of these concepts to just <clears throat> make, your, make your organization healthier, which is one of the, one of the core concepts of uh, EOS, making it healthier and getting traction. Um, so their, their primary piece is the vision traction organizer. Go to EOS, you'll learn all about it. Uh, but I, I can't say enough good things. I was lucky enough to have Mark O'Donnell as my yeah. facilitator prior to them going to the franchise model. Mark O'Donnell is now the CEO of EOS Worldwide. Well, um, it doesn't get much better than that as, a, as an implementer <laughs> out there. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, he, he was he was fantastic. And, and, and he was also a visionary and entrepreneur himself. Uh, so he, he felt every pain I had, <laughs> uh, you know, so it, it just feels when you have an implementer, uh, in your team, it's, you've got somebody else in, in the, in the foxhole with you, um, yeah. that can help you look at the, the business from a different perspective. So, yeah, um, just before you go on, I, you know, um, one of the things that truly drew me to this is that there, there are about 470 of us implementers now. Um, and when, when you look for a cultural fit, right, somebody where you, 
you know, the coolest thing when you're in the military is when you, you know, if you retire, you walk back in a room with, with friends and, 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 you know, all of a sudden, you know, they get you, right? Yep. You walk in and you feel that. Uh, when I walk into a room full of implementers, it is that exact same feeling, exact same feeling. It doesn't matter whether they were in the military or they were, they used to run photography businesses or they have an IT business background or, or, or any of that stuff. It, that was one of the coolest things is that, that culture fits right where 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 they consistently exhibit the same values over and over again it fits like a glove i felt that the minute i walked into the icebreaker uh, when i started this journey on, on being becoming an eos implementer those icebreakers yeah. no matter where you go they're awkward as heck uh, <laughs> right so uh, so even walking into that and seeing that you know within the first five minutes i was like man this is but that's how you know you've got a right decision that's how you know you've got a good strong organization is when people walk in they know they fit yeah that is a, that is one of the most powerful things so not every implementer is for every business, uh, but I can guarantee that every business has that implementer that's out there. You know, and the, and all of us are focused on helping those businesses get the right implementer for them, so they can take care and do everything they want with their business and, and live that better life. Because it happens, it happens, it happens over and over again. It is yeah. one of the coolest things that I've ever seen or encountered. I'm I'm living proof of it. I was three years ago. Um... <laughs> My my wife would be the better reference. <laughs> I won't even go further. Uh, we talked about so much already, uh, but it you know you've you've led, you've trained, you've coached, you taught, you've led in in the military, you've led in I, I, what I call USACE is this quasi military civilian organization. You're leading and you're interacting with small businesses. Um, you know leadership lesson that you want to share um with with the audience if, if any one or two stick out um that we haven't covered yet um I, you've got to be in that position for the right reasons you got to be if you're going to be a leader you got to make sure you're having fun doing the leadership stuff right everyone wants to be a leader until they got to do some leadership things and and, and not all of them are fun uh, so you've got to you've got to make sure that you're you're doing the things that are right and you're doing them for the right reasons i, I think that's probably uh, one of the things that that's out there number one the other one is is uh you've got to walk the talk you the minute that you start to do something other than what you said that credibility and that trust that you're building up right that the folks have got to have got to have whether you're in the military or you're in, in, a, in a small business or family run organization, uh, the minute you start to break down that trust because you're not walking that talk, uh, everything becomes exponentially harder. And that really calls into the question what it is you're doing there. You know, probably ties back into that first one. Uh, those are the two things I, I guess I'd, I'd say, I don't know if they were the same things we talked about last time, but, uh, but lately those have been ones that uh, have been at the top of my mind. I, uh... I listened to a John Maxwell. Oh, we're getting feedback somewhere. Uh, John Maxwell Maxwell presentation. You know, leadership's not always easy. Leadership's not always fun. You know, everybody wants to be a leader until it's time to do what leader leaders got to do. Uh, a kid comes up to John Maxwell after a uh, after a conference. He says, "Mr. Maxwell, I want to do what you do." And John Maxwell says, "You want to do what I do, huh? Are you willing to do what I did?" So he says, 
you see, we want to do what they do, but we don't want to did what they did. And what we what we don't understand is if we don't did what they did, we don't get to do what they do because the do is what people see, but it was the did that made us who we are. Without the did, you don't get the do, and without the did, you're in ju you're just in deep do do. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was a phenomenal little uh, little quote, and it is. It's it, and it it does apply. I mean, we talked about. Uh, how you know who you want to be, what you want to do is going to evolve over time. Uh, we put a lot of pressure. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we're transitioning from such a big commitment. Uh, a lot of us, uh, you know, I, I I transitioned my active duty time after my seven year commitment. Um, you know, so I did four years at West Point, seven years in the army. That's that's 11 years of my life. You put, you know, so now I'm transitioning. You put all this pressure on yourself to get it right. right. It's like, get it, get it, be, do the deep work, get what you think right is, but it's, it's a constant evolving experience. Um, and, and I think if you get the, the culture of the organization, right. And, and, you know, a lot of the other stuff starts, starts coming into place. Yeah, this that reminds me of one of the things uh, that I think we we missed the opportunity to talk about before is that um, there is so much talent and capability and skill that is in the military that is coming out of the military every day, every week, every month. Um, and I think uh, I think the folks who are leaving the military sometimes miss the opportunity to realize that there there is there is a great way for them to make a huge positive impact and it doesn't have to be as an employee for somebody else it doesn't have to be as you know hey i left the military now i'm going to go do this it doesn't have to be that same track um i, I think a lot of military folks are leaving a lot of their capability skills and and and, and potential on the table uh, because they don't see uh, the the path forward or the options that are out there, right? They they read like I just gave two two examples, uh, two hour job search, right? And that's yeah. all about finding a job in corporate America. Uh, and a twenty minute network meeting is all about understanding how you can talk with folks in corporate America to see what it is that you like. Uh, there are there are resources that are out there that help you take a look at, you know, what does it look like to be a business owner on your own out there? Right? What does what does it look like to to Start up your own business. There's tons. Bunker Labs is a great organization that helps right, really facilitate uh, the uh, the formation for 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 new veteran-owned businesses. Right, it really takes them through. There's Founders Labs. There's collabs that are across the country that'll help you help you do those things. And I don't know how many veterans get a chance to look at that. There's the opportunity to buy franchises, and there's a there's a system that's tailor-made. You know. Uh, Paul Huzar. I'm not sure if you know Paul Huzar. Right? <laughs> Luke Luca just introduced me to him. I'm, I'm meeting with him next week. I don't know him. Oh, perfect. So hopefully you're going to bring him on, on a podcast, right? So yep. he's a guy who got out of the military, um, got asked to be a chief operating officer for a, a, a disaster restoration company, bought that company, now franchises that company specifically for veterans because he understands the power of a franchise model that's all that's, you know, tailor-made in, in an industry that's tailor-made for folks who have that, that military background and discipline. Interestingly enough, you should ask about EOS because it runs on EOS, his franchise system. Uh, but, uh, but there is the franchise options out there. And then the third option that, that, that folks don't really get a chance to talk about or, or look at is, is that entrepreneurship through acquisition. You can go out there and buy, and that's what you did. 
right? You go out there and you find that company and you, you work your way through and you, you buy that company. And there are a ton of resources that are out there that help you find them, buy them, uh, and run them. Uh, I just think that, you know, I know the quality and the caliber of folks that I talk to on a daily basis, and I know that they could be, I think, well, I know that they could, they would definitely excel doing so much more. I just don't know that they've been able to or conditioned to or even brought about the, the opportunity or possibility of doing that more, that bigger, that next step, right? Yeah. To go after what we're talking about, that passion and purpose. Yeah. I think there's passion and purpose to be found out there, but but they've got to make it. And I think that was a powerful quote that you had there was, was the leader's got to, got to lead. You got to lead into that passion and, and create that. I think there's tons of folks that are out there that have an opportunity. I just wish more of us could figure it out earlier on in the game. Well, and, and let's make that the public service announcement to everybody that like don't settle, right? Everybody's yeah. trying to become the best version of themselves. Don't because you, you know, you hung up the, the uniform. Um, don't settle because you still have something left in the tank. You have a lot of, a lot to bring. Keep searching for what it is that, that that's your passion project. And if you can bring your passion project and your, and your income together, man, you, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, I, I really think that's what it's about inspiring people in places. The entire point of our podcast is to help everybody, everybody that listens to, to find ways to become the best version of yourself professionally and personally. Again, you, you can't have one without the other. It's not worth it. Um, you know, so it, there's so much built into that mission, but I, I posted this on LinkedIn yesterday. Uh, and I really mean it. I think the, the army, the army taught me at a very, very, very early stage. Um, if you take care of your people, the rest of it takes care of itself. And, and that's what leaders are about. That's what the, the military is about. Uh, and that's that I don't care where you land uh, transitioning veterans out there. If, if you land in corporate America, if you land in a public agency, if you land in entrepreneurial America, you, you, have leadership skills. I don't, you're in community organizations, you're in your family, you have leadership skills, you get to take care of people. Uh, don't, don't lose sight of that. Uh, I think that's what, you know, is going to, is going to allow business to help change, you know, what, what negativity we may see in, uh, in America right now. Um, so the mission ain't over veterans. Right, right. And the mission get out there. continues. Have to All right. uh, rapid fire, Mike, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, current events, public policy, nonprofits uh, that you're actively involved in. Any, any, any other passion projects? Maybe EOS is the is your passion project. Uh, maybe not necessarily those three uh, categories, but one of the great things I get to do with Meet and Hunt uh, is I'm I'm an innovation champion for them, and so. I helped run their innovation program. Uh, they stood it up about the same time as I was hired on. They, they stood up a foresight innovation technology effort. Uh, and then as part of that, what we did is, is we, we went out and researched innovation software in order to be able to support this. And, uh, and I, was, uh, I was on a team that researched those. I was on a team that selected the software package that we use. And, and I was uh, I'm part of the team that has set that up and, 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 and got that up and running. Uh, it took about nine months to, to find the right package. Uh, it took about two months to set it up and, and we went live with it in April of uh, 2021. Um, and it's all organic growth within the company. And, and we went from uh, having 
12 people on the system to now uh, almost 400 people on the system uh, using that, that innovation software. Uh, I'm, most people are using it probably weekly or, or bi-weekly basis to come in and con comment on ways that, uh, that Meet and Hunt could, could do better. Um, there's big, hairy, audacious goals, right? The BHAG. So we've got an innovation campaign that's set up to, to ingest those ideas, vet them, evaluate them, and turn them loose so that they grow. And then there's the, the uh, more of the process or value creation, lean kind of ideas that are out there. And so we have that, that campaign that's out there that, that helps. Uh, and that's been, uh, that's been a great thing to do within my company. So regardless of where you go, find some place that's going to let you scratch some of those itches you got. Because uh, with Meet and Hunt, being able to be that innovation champion, being able to bring in an innovation software, uh, set it up and run it and, and turn it loose and watch it grow. That's, uh, that's been one of the things I've been working hard on uh, over the last couple months. Do you mind uh, sharing with us the software that you guys selected? Not at all. No, uh, it's uh, IdeaScale. IdeaScale is the name of the software. And that uh, we looked at, uh, I think we looked at 15 or 16 different software sets that are out there. Uh, narrowed it down to uh, four or five. We did some much clo much closer due diligence, and then test drove, uh, in essence, two software uh, packages. Both of them were were, were real similar in, in the way that they approached, but uh, IdeaScale really fit the culture uh, at Mead and Hunt. Uh, the way it was set up and the way it operated really really allowed us to tie in the culture at Mead and Hunt as it exists. And, and so we we went with IdeaScale. We've now set up what is called the uh, the Foresight Innovation Technology Hub within uh, within the IdeaScale software. Uh, it's a native link right from our intranet. And so you go in there and you can browse ideas, you can submit your ideas. Uh, we've got a team of folks who curate those ideas and bring them forward and make sure they move through the process. Uh, but one of the coolest things it does is it empowers, if you've got a great idea, BJ, it empowers you to get it in there and it's transparent. You know, it doesn't get lost in the, in the bottom of the email pile. It doesn't get lost in a yellow sticky on somebody's desk. It's in there. And now we see it and we're going to move it through. Everyone can take a look at it. Everyone can comment on it. Everyone can, can rate it. And then we can put it through our process to see whether or not it, it qualifies for, you know, significant amounts of capital, uh, minimal amounts of capital, significant amounts of labor, minimal amounts of labor. How it is, we've got a process now. It's in place and it's, it's actually working. That's uh, we phenomenal. Had, you know, it's a professional organization, so PMs have control of, of timesheets and, and understand where time goes. But they're drawing on folks that are that are out there that don't have access to a whole timesheet and don't have the access to the whole calendar. And so uh, one of the folks that is a resource provider for PMs said, hey, look, you know, I'd really like to know where I am with these projects because I've got to balance these other projects. How do I get access to this timesheet? And so that PM put that idea into the, into the system. The person who owns that portion of our CRM saw that idea, said, hey, man, you're not the first one to talk about this. Let's figure out what we got to do. And so those two worked offline together uh, for about a month and a half. They brought it out. They beta tested it with uh, three or four other folks that are out there. And now it's up and it's an official part of, of, of Meet and Hunt. So now folks can get access to the whole project calendar and understand where their time is and where they need to go and where there might be additional things so they can balance their own workload it really helps us with resource management as we look, uh, you know, particularly for resources that work in more than one group. That's just a, you know, a small. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's, it, process, right? that's, the, that's that. Uh, when you look at the big hairy audacious goals one, we now have, uh, we just, uh, uh, you know, big data and data, data science is, is, is 
truly the next big step, I think, right? And, you know, I've heard Duke DeLucas uh, talk out there. Um, we have had, uh, we had a, a group of folks led by our, our transportation, intelligent transportation systems group, um, who put this idea forward and said, hey, look, we need to get in here. We need to get in here. We're, we're missing the boat. There's some other folks that are, that are leading us. Uh, and so now that big data and uh, data analytics uh, effort um, went through the, the idea scale process, went through our fit hub process, uh, got the approval of the, the principals uh, in, the, in the company to be able to bring in a, a new data scientist. And so we should be bringing a new data scientist on board help us set up the big data program. Uh, I think he is supposed to start in April. That's and so awesome. there's, a, you know, there's another thing that's out there that, that, that we're able to do. And, it, and it's all transparent. There's no hiding it. There's no, you know, hey, this is something that they're doing on their own. Um, we all see what it is. We all see where the, where the money's going. We all see where the time's going. And, and, and we all get the opportunity to say, hey, look, I think, you know, here's something else that they should consider. Uh, so that that uh, that's not necessarily, I think, any of those three things that you mentioned in there, but that's a that's that innovation cool. thing. That's a, that's a cool thing that's out there uh, that, the, that that you don't always find. Um, certainly in a broader military, there's niches of it within the military. If you think Softworks or Afworks or some of those other uh, yeah. things going on on Jaido back in the day, uh, there's a lot of innovation going on there. But in a greater army. Um, you don't see that. So that's been one of the coolest things about coming out of the military and working for Meet and Hunt is, is that kind of, uh, that kind of autonomy. They let me run with it and, and, and we run and it's, and it's working. It's awesome. Getting results and getting results fast. <clears throat> um, favorite quote and why? I don't know. Let's see. I don't have that written for whatever reason. I don't bring that down. I know we had a good one last time. I'm trying to think where I'm at now. I'll give you an easier question. This, this might stoke that, but you covered a lot of books um, around transition, but, but must read books. Uh, you dropped a couple of authors last time. Yeah. So must read books, knowledge and decisions by Thomas Sowell. Uh, Right. He's a he's a Hoover Institute guy out of Stanford. Um, he's a, an economist that's been. I think that book came out in in the seventies, maybe. But if you read that now, you will see. You know, one of the one of the things we talk about now is crowdsourcing. You know, yep. If you go back and read Knowledge and Decisions, you can understand why it's important. Uh, why central planning for certain things does not work. Uh, and, and where central planning does work and where crowdsourcing or, or, or distributed understanding is, is out there. So that's, that's uh, anything by Thomas Sowell, but that knowledge and decisions, that was, a, that was an eye opener. Uh, and then anything by Victor Davis Hanson, he's a classicist out of Stanford. Uh, so he writes on, on, on military history, classic military history. You know, he's got stuff on uh, Peloponnesian War and, and, and the strategy that's out there that, uh, that were used by uh, leaders in, in the, in the classic world, but that uh, any of his books, those are, when you read either of those authors, their information is so dense, so tight. There's no extra articles in there. There's no extra words in there. Every sentence in there has, has value and meaning in and of itself. And it's, it's phenomenal to just read that from the, from the point of view of understanding what it must take to be able to author a document like they've authored. But then once you get past the, like for me, once I get past 
you know, being in awe of their ability to, to tightly tie those things together, the information itself is phenomenal. So uh, anything by Victor Davis Hanson, those, those, uh, those two authors are, are some of my favorite. And I'll, I'll, read, them, uh, I'll read them out there uh, as often as I can get back to them. I think uh, uh, Mr. Hanson has got, uh, I don't know, 15, 17, 25 books out there. Wow. Uh, a lot of them are, are in the curriculum for, uh, for the war colleges. And so that was always cool. Uh, when I was in a war college, to be able to, to read a book that I'd already read uh, several times and, 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 and really get into it with, the, with a professor who, who, who has that in-depth knowledge, too, and be able to tease out more of that in-depth understanding. Those are two books that are out there. Dead or Alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? I like hanging out with my dad. I think that's cool. I think, uh, I think that's, that's super fun. Um, There's a guy, uh, you know, when you talk about veteran transition, there's uh, one of the first leaders that I knew in the military. Uh, he retired and, and had been out after a while. And he's one of those, one of those folks that, uh, that is often counted in that statistic uh, of veterans who, who, uh, who lose their life too early in a game. But uh, I won't say his name, but he was a guy who was a, he was a, when I was a lieutenant, he was a major. Um, and he, he used to make me physically ill uh, with concern before I'd start meetings with him because he was so focused and, and so knowledgeable about, about systems in the military that he forced everyone to up their game. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't the kind of gentler army uh, way of forcing you and, and cajoling you. It was, it, was a, it was a brutal slap in the head, not physical, but, but verbal. Um, but he, was, he really forced me to learn some of those key systems in the military the, the supply and maintenance system that, that without him, I would have never learned. And he really set a foundation for me. Uh, he, he, uh, he left the military, retired out of the military. And, and then uh, uh, I, I'd love to be able to spend some more time with him and, and just say, uh, you know, what, what's going on? How are you doing? Yeah. And, and I think the third person I, th I think I would love to be at the Battle of the Bulge, right? As, as they get that message, and, and, and McCall says nuts, right? I, to be a, a fly on a wall and watch that and see the the things that are happening, right? I think that that you know maybe that's not a person, but that that'd be an event that I would love to be able to, to sit there and witness and just you talk about pure leadership in action, right? That that's. Uh, that is the extreme answer towards that. So I think I think that'd be a, that'd be pretty cool to to be in that position. Yeah, I and I can see that. Uh, any quotes come to mind? No, that nuts quote. So I think is what's sticking <laughs> in my mind right now. I mean, as soon, as soon as I started telling that story, you know, that just the whole concept of, of of where that is, or you think back to Gettysburg and Chamberlain saying fixed bayonets charge. Oh right? man, yeah. right though. All is lost. No, not it's not all lost. We we don't have to wait. We can take action. Yeah. Right? And 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 the, the very act of taking that action uh, changes the course of history. So I think uh, that might be another one. All right. Legacy. What do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? Oh, father and husband. Father and husband. I think uh, I think that's 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 it. I think. Uh, there's other things that'd be super great. You know, uh, I talked about my, my goal of helping grow 250 businesses here in the Gulf Coast and 100 veteran-owned businesses. And I think, I think that's out there. But father and husband is, is, a, 
I mean, that's that's been the greatest thing about this this Christmas and, and New Year's holiday season. Yeah, I've been able to do a bunch of ridiculous things. We went fishing on New Year's Day. We didn't catch nothing, uh, but but the kids and I went fishing on New Year's Day, and it was it was a blast. You know, we got fishing lines tangled, and and uh, I think I probably lost fifty dollars worth of lures. Uh, but uh, but being able to spend that time uh, with the kids, and then my parents had taken the kids uh, for about a week, and I, and I got to hang out with my wife like we were uh, like we were adults. We watched TV until eleven o'clock at night. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> So that's uh, that's that's where I'd like to be uh, on, on the legacy. That's great. All right, last uh, last couple minutes here. The floor is yours. Anything you want to leave with the with the audience? Hey, that transition part on the military—that's hard. Whether you've been in the military, uh, like BJ said, like you said, BJ, whether you've been in the military three years or, or, or thirty years, that transition is harder than you think it is. Uh, it's going to be tough reach out because people want to help but you've got to do some of that work yourself and if at all possible you've got to find a battle buddy to go through that transition with somebody that you can commiserate with you can pick up the phone and say hey let me tell you about this ridiculousness that just happened with the va or hey let me tell you about this ridiculousness you know that they lost all my leave forms so now they're gonna they're gonna charge me 180 days of leave and i only have 179 or hey uh did you know that the day you retire your your medical coverage ends, and if you haven't figured out how to start the Tricare for Life, um, your any any appointments you had just got canceled. Uh, being able to understand and commiserate with those things, as well as celebrate those victories, like hey, I just got an offer, or hey, uh, you know, what do you think about this compensation package, or hey, what do you think about working over in this area? Having that battle buddy is critical, uh, and if you're married, if you've got a spouse you want to separate that battle body from that spouse because your spouse is probably tired of hearing you complain. Uh, they've been putting up with your, your, uh, your military business for, you know, three years or 30 years and they're done with it. And, and they need to be able to, you need to be able to start shifting that focus towards them. Uh, so you got to have that other battle body to listen to and commiserate with uh, as opposed to them. I think that'd be the number one thing. Reach out because it's harder than you think it is. Uh, and then number two, we talked about it. Don't settle. There's so much out there. Whether you uh, start your own business, buy a business, buy a franchise, or, or or gain employment, make sure that you don't settle no matter what it is you're doing, because there's a ton of opportunity. You've got more in the tank than just about anyone else. And you understand because you've been in you know, those difficult situations that you can always reach down deeper. Um, reach down deep, grab out, help your church, help your community, help your organization. Uh, donate or, or volunteer or do whatever it is because there is so much I think veteran talent that's left on the table and veteran potential that's left on the table that I would just love to be able to draw out even a portion of that. That's my awesome. that's my rant. Awesome, Mike. This has been a, a I think a really rich conversation. Uh, I'm going to be busy going back through it to make sure we hit all the highlights and, and get people the links and the notes. Uh, but thank you so much for one, your service, two, your time, and three, your passion for uh, for helping veterans uh, and and coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity for you guys, uh, both you and I, Mike, helping me out uh, with a second try at this, so that the, the technology works better. Uh, and I appreciate what it is that you guys do. If, if folks out there aren't following BJ and 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 what he puts on LinkedIn and what he what he sends out via his. Uh, is his, his role at MCFA, you're, you're missing out on an opportunity to engage and understand and, and really see the future where things are going. So uh, for both Hugh and, and Iron Mike, thank you very much for what it is you guys do for veterans out there. Thanks, Mike.
Hey, everybody. Uh, appreciate you listening to the show. If you're enjoying it, please, uh, the most powerful thing you can do is spread it. Uh, you know, subscribe uh, on, on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify or any other podcast hosting platform. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, give us feedback. Engage with us. I read a quote the other day. People forget often that you know, social media, the first part of social media is social. Uh, we do want to interact and engage with you. If we can be doing anything, if you have guests that you think we should be getting on here, by all means, send them to us. We, we really are about inspiring people in places uh, and, and trying to make the world a better place. Uh, a little bit about us. If you want to find out more about my firm, uh, MCFA, check us out, www.mcfaglobal.com. And as Mike uh, so kindly mentioned, you, know, you can sign up for our newsletter, stay engaged with us. Uh, we've got we try to try to do a little bit of, of uh, inspiration, a little bit of curation of, of industry news uh, and, and job announcements. Uh, and, and we're also starting to reach out to other firms that we're partnered with to see what other jobs are out there uh, because we are passionate about uh, helping veterans transition. And if you've hung on this long, uh, the infrastructure bill is only going to create more opportunity in, in the uh, engineering construction um, industry. So uh, you know, keep your eyes out. There's, there's a path worth taking over here. Uh, and, and last, I haven't put this out there anywhere, but we did launch a foundation um, at the end of 2021. One of those, one of those pillars is to help veterans uh, with transition. Uh, and, and we are going to come together with scholarships uh, for small businesses, but also for transitioning veterans trying to get into uh, the construction management, project management, engineering industry. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, we're hoping to, to just be a small piece to help connect the dots and, uh, and help that transition be easier. So stay tuned for more on that. That is the Friendly Strife Foundation coming to a website or URL uh, near you soon. Uh, until next time, have a great rest of the week and thanks for listening.